Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to This Week in the Garden. I'm Peter Seabrook, here to help with your gardening quandaries. Today, I'm joined by a man who has dedicated his life to the world of horticultural journalism. He's the editor-at-large for Garden News magazine. One of the first publications that uh, ever published a column from me. It's Ian Hodgson. My thanks to Hayloft, sponsors of this podcast. And of course to my producer, Charlie Jones. I have some good news this week. A new gardening scheme for schools is being planned to include recycled containers... Uh, suitable fruits, flowers and veg uh, to grow in them, and, of course, for healthy living, plus outdoor learning environment. I'm told repeatedly by the heads of primary schools that if you can get youngsters outside in the fresh air, measuring, writing labels, uh, they absorb uh, good educational material much quicker and more easily than uh, sitting for hours, really, in the classroom. I'm interested to read, too, that uh, at Twyford in Berkshire, they've installed a new smart living pillar, or to you and me, a lamppost. I've watched for years a lamppost in West Adderbury, uh, just close to somebody's front garden, which has a climbing rose ballerina trained around it, really long stems, and they now reach almost to the light. And when that flowers in June, it's absolutely stunning. So uh, I wish the Twyford Council luck with their smart living pillar uh, and hope that it does very well indeed and we see lots more of them. The Fitzgerald Nursery in Ireland uh, is launching... I think what is a very uh, interesting edible ornamental. A sweet potato in the Treasure Island range. Uh, We have had one or two ipomias that will flower, some with dark attractive leaves that also produce tubers. So I suppose uh, it was the obvious route. I haven't grown Treasure Island yet, but uh, it will be interesting to see how that goes. And from France, uh, the Clos Company, uh, introducing a tomato called Buffalo Sun. <laughs> I'll have to grow that, won't I? Buffalo Sun is a name to conjure with. Uh, my advice this week, uh, well, after you've survived all the uh, festivities of Christmas and Boxing Day, please check to see that all the spring flowering bulbs are planted. Any daffodils, hyacinths, muscari, tulips, all those sort of things must be in the ground by now. Uh, And uh, if 
you've still got a few in the shed and the soil's too wet to plant, well then just pot them up. Put them somewhere in the shade and cool so they can make root. But that's one job which really must be done. Uh, And if you've got a few mistletoe berries hanging about, they probably won't be fully ripe yet. So when you take them down after Christmas, if they're still fresh enough, just cut the ends, put them in water and just store them until late January, early February. And when the berries are really ripe, then you just press them into the underside of uh, the bark. In a perfect world, you need to put them onto the same tree that they came from. In other words, if it was mistletoe from apple, you push the berries into uh, apple tree bark. Chances are you won't know where your berries came from. And apple's a pretty good host, so you should be uh, quite lucky with that. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm very pleased to uh, introduce to you today Ian Hodgson, who uh, I've known for a good many years uh, and is currently editor-at-large at Garden News. I think that was the first weekly magazine that I contributed a tiny piece to, and I would think things have changed. Uh, But Ian was also, for a long time, the editor of the Royal Horticultural Society magazine, The Garden. Ian, it's very kind of you to give us some time. How did you kick off in this wonderful industry of ours? Well, I left school at 16 and I didn't really know what to do. I got no help from school. So it was actually an advert in Garden News magazine um, back in 1976 where I saw an opportunity for an apprenticeship with Thomas Rochfords and Sons, the houseplant growers. Goodness. So uh, I became... Yeah, you were a Rochford uh, uh, trainee. Uh, yes, I was there for three years Goodness. on the main nursery and then up in Cheshire because they diversified into garden centres. So I worked on Rochford's first garden centre. Goodness, yeah, well, that, that is interesting from my point of view, yeah. I mean, you saw the early days of garden centre trading then when things were really exciting. They were changing so fast. Yeah, we were both working in the garden centre, but they also had a nursery behind growing rubber plants and poinsettias and chrysanthemums, which I also worked on. Yeah. Well, all of those, um, were they called Tom's weeds? All those green plants are coming back now with the force, aren't they? 
Absolutely. And, you know, then they were very popular, but unfortunately they just couldn't compete with all the imports coming in from Holland. Uh, and so, you know, shortly after that, uh, unfortunately, the company went into demise. Yeah. And so then what did you do? Um, I then went to Kew Gardens, uh, where I actually was a student there for three years. Uh, and before I went, I thought I knew a few plants. But when I went to Kew, I suddenly realized I knew nothing. <laughs> the plant <laughs> world was just so vast. <laughs> and uh, there was so much to learn. It was one of the most in, in, exhilarating periods of my life. Yeah. And, and were you a student there then? I was a student for three years, uh, working, you know, in all the various departments, alpine, tropical, uh, the arboretum. Uh, also learned to grow things in test tubes as well, because uh, they were doing um, in vitro cultivation of certain plants. It was a fascinating time. So, so many diverse things that we did, talking to all these expert people, whether they be growers or botanists. Yeah. And, and so then, where from Kew? Um, when I was at Kew, I did a, a module where we did garden design. Uh, and I suddenly realized that I was interested in that and I could draw a bit. Um, so then I applied to Sheffield University as a mature student to actually do landscape architecture uh, and plant sciences. So I did was there for six years uh, and uh, qualified as a landscape architect. Six years? Goodness. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're... <laughs> Including the postgraduate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're nearly a full-time student, Ian. Uh, I, I was. I was about 25 then, and I realized that I really needed to go out and get a job. So uh, I went and worked in landscape uh, until the building industry went bust in the, in the 1980s. Uh, and it just so happened I'd be, I was working in Peterborough uh, and Garden News needed a technical writer. So I, I just applied and uh, they took me on. Who was the editor then? Because uh, I, I worked, I think, under John Bloom, a really lovely fellow. Who was your editor? My editor was a lady called Pam Deschamps, um, who was a journalist, but also had a great passion for gardening. Uh, and she took me under her wing. Um, but there, was other, there were other people there, uh, like uh, Ray Edwards, who was also an XQ student many years previous to me. But he you know, took me under his wing as well. And I learned so much in such a short space of time working on the paper, we went around visiting shows and uh, kind of visiting gardens and talking to a lot of really interesting and influential people. Uh, as Garden News has always been the spokesperson for the keen exhibitor and, and showman, isn't it? I remember uh, John Street, great character, nurseryman down in Woking, he used to be going round the shows for... Uh, garden news and presumably you did that kind of work yes i did i knew john street uh, in his latter years i met him at chelsea and uh, he took me around and told me of his experiences it was he's a wonderful raconteur um but i also uh, was involved with a, a gentleman called jack wood um who was the correspondent shows correspondent for garden news 
Um, and he was so expert, he could tell just by looking at an exhibit whether it was going to win or not. And he often beat the judges to the decision. He was an astonishing person. He was amazing. And he didn't drive, did he? You know, he travelled everywhere by public transport. If if my uh, memory is correct, there was one occasion when he arrived and the show had closed and he still managed to file his report (laughs) with the show having finished. He he just knew absolutely everybody. And um, everybody who was a keen uh, grower really trusted him. Uh, and they you know, took him into their confidence. And so he always got the inside track. And it was almost like the show couldn't start until Jack Wood turned up. <laughs> yeah. Boy, you, you work with some characters, Ian. But, but then, of course, went into, uh, you know, another complete, well, I should say stratosphere almost, editor of The Garden, uh, the most prestigious of all editing jobs, isn't it? Um, it really was, and uh, I, I only thought I was going to be there a short time, but I ended up being there for 18 years. Um, it was re- absolutely remarkable. It was at the right time because the society was just starting to expand, and it realized that it had to broaden out and attract a far greater range of, of people uh, and galvanize gardening in this country than it hitherto had been. So. You know, they knew that publishing and the magazine operation had to kind of be at the uh, vanguard of that. So, you know, we were, ex- you know, developing the magazine and all the other publications uh, to actually publicize what the RHS were doing, but also reflect all the innovations uh, in horticulture as well as all the beautiful gardens which this country actually creates. Yes, because a monthly magazine. Uh, really lovely double-page spreads with garden pictures and things. I mean, it was um, a real inspiration. Uh, and, and also that all the expertise of all these people who had got hard-won knowledge over many, many decades, uh, they were so generous. And meeting inspirational people like Roy Lancaster, who really fired my enthusiasm for uh, you know woody plants and shrubs and the history of plant collecting, Brent Elliott, uh, the librarian at the Lindley Library, who had got an encyclopedic mind and just knew where everything was in, in, in such a vast library. It was absolutely astonishing. And then working with all the plant committees, with all the experts, uh, and, and other journalists as well, like Fred Whitsey, who was the uh, gardening correspondent of the Telegraph at the time, who was acted really as my mentor and helped me through introducing me to so many people. Um, he was a godsend. You've, you know, you're just you're reeling off almost my sort of lifetime of meeting people. Roy Lancaster, Brent Elliott. I mean, Fred Whitsey. I remember somebody saying that when they read his column in the Telegraph, uh, you could smell the soil under his fingernails. And I thought that was uh, perhaps the most apt description of anybody. He was such a generous man and so polite. Um, and he was he just took me under his wing and he was instrumental in me getting to kind of grips with the diversity within the RHS because it is such a complex organisation with many different facets and the society was trying to make sense of itself at that time uh, and you know it has taken some time for it to become the organisation that it is today. Yes, would the DG have been Gordon Ray at that time? Who, who did you work for? Uh, the, yes, it was Gordon Ray. He was the first Director General who 
basically kick-started everything that we see today. And he started so many things, he got things in motion, um, both in developing the kind of gardens, uh, the publishing. He was involved in so many different things. Um, but he was so generous, again, uh, as, a, as a manager, um, and uh, helped me tremendously. Would they have left you alone a bit? I mean, you were in Peterborough, the head office for the Royal Horticultural Society, always in Vincent Square in London. It's quite a distance. So were you allowed to get on with the job? Um, largely, I, I was, but obviously I needed to go to meetings uh, at Vincent Square, the society headquarters in London, um, and you know, Gordon would come up to see us, uh, and there'd be a, a trickle of people who would actually come to Peterborough just to kind of have meetings and keep things on track. Uh, I used to spend one or two days down in London, or I would go to the Society's Gardens. Um, I realised as well when I was uh, developing the publishing that we needed to have a dedicated member of staff who was actually working around the gardens and helping collect pictures and talk to all the gardeners to get the information to actually publish uh, in the magazine, which hitherto that hadn't happened as well as it could have been. Um, and that mechanism uh, that I put in place is still there today. Good for you, uh, because the members really want to know what's happening at their gardens. Well, gardeners are busy doing what they do best, which is cultivating the plants to a high standard. So, you know, they don't think, I wonder if the magazine uh, would be interested in this. So, you know, we needed a system which enabled us to actually extract that information as painlessly as possible. Yeah, but now your editor-at-large at Garden News, that will have changed quite a bit uh, since your first period of time with them. It's changed hugely, and uh, when I came back to work for them uh, in uh, 2013, it was the last um, time that the magazine uh, was actually, it was a newspaper format, uh, and the next issue that I worked on was a magazine format, so it was actually changing in size. Um, and so much has actually changed culturally, where you know uh, there are now more female readers than than male. Um, the growing for showing that I was uh, first exposed to back in the 1980s, that has really kind of diminished now. Um, there's more emphasis uh, on environmental things and wildlife. Um, there is kind of much more involvement in actually community gardening and, and getting down to what people really want to, to know about in terms of their, their gardening knowledge and understanding of gardening. Uh, because it would be fair to say we've almost got a generation who've missed out on learning at, at their parents' knee how to garden. Would you agree with that? I mean, I'm, I'm often amazed at how little some homeowners know about growing things? Well, it's quite interesting because I answer reader queries on the telephone every day, so I get to know firsthand um, about what people's levels of knowledge are, and sometimes you kind of find that they're, they're experts in certain things, but they don't know, any, you know very much about other aspects. So you've always got to keep that in mind when you're actually writing, um, that you're not writing at too high a level and you're being inclusive so that you can, you know, um, support as many people uh, as possible. Well, I'm very pleased to hear 
you know, that you're face to face, so to speak, with the readership. What's currently on the agenda in terms of questions? You know, recently, what have been uh, regular questions or common questions? Um, people obviously are still very interested in the techniques of gardening. They want to know when to prune things, uh, when to plant things. Uh, the weather is a big problem for them. Um, they also kind of want to know how certain plants uh, can survive the winter. Uh, there's a lot of people, you know, growing uh, tender plants like bananas, and they will ring in and say, you know, can I leave it outside? Do I need to bring it in? Uh, there's a lot of people who grow things in pots and want to know whether they can leave them out. So my first question is, where do you live in the country? Um, <laughs> yeah. <but> yeah. <laughs> it makes a big difference. Yeah. It's one of the problems when the queries come in by email. You don't know where they are. And then, and then it's really difficult, sometimes from the other side of the world. And you will get that too, presumably. Yes. Uh, and, you know, I do spend time with them trying to find out what, where they are, what their soil is, um, because it's so key to actually making a diagnosis. Um, there's also obviously a lot of interest in you know, plants which are attractive to insects as well. Um, all our uh, readers now uh, rather kind of em embrace sustainable gardening practices uh, and don't like really using pesticides unless they kind of really have to. Yeah, that, that's quite a movement now, isn't it? Ian, it's, it's great to speak to you. Thank you very much for your time. What a working life you've had, hey? And you never stop learning. <laughs> you can say that again. My thanks to Hayloft, sponsors of this podcast. And thanks to you for listening. My thought for the day comes from American author Tom Robbins. It's never too late to have a happy childhood. So there we are. I look forward to my second childhood. And I certainly enjoyed the singing of the 29 uh, choristers from uh, Charlton Manor School at Coolings just a week or two ago. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.